uh, 1 Samuel 17. Uh, we are in, that's, this is the biggest chapter in both Samuels, 58 verses, all dedicated to this almost uh, never heard story about David and Goliath. Have you heard it before? I think it's just so obscure. No one knows this one. Actually, it's one of the best known stories in our book. Uh, but it's just fraught with all kinds of important principles for us to live in and live by. Uh, so we're going chunk by chunk. It's going to take us four weeks to get through these 58 verses. And uh, we've gone through a couple weeks. We've seen Goliath be introduced uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, and he, he stoked the fear that so many of us face in life. Uh, the world's broken. It's hard out there. Anybody testify? All right. And there's just all kinds of things that can you know, make us say, how are we going to do this? But thankfully, we have stories like this one in our book that remind us, we don't have to, God will, and we can trust him for what we lack. Last week, uh, we saw David deliver sandwiches to his brothers at the front lines. Uh, he overhears uh, as everybody's yelling and screaming up on the hill, ah, Israel, yeah, we're going to kick your butt. Uh, uh, but no one's going down the hill to actually face the giant. We, we saw uh, in that story, as David arrives on that scene, that there's basically two kinds of Christians. There's hill shouters. Ah, I'm all for Jesus. Look what I posted. And then, uh, uh, and then, and then there's the, the giant facers, the, the, the people who actually run down the hill and actually make a difference. And we just if you're unclear on which one we want to be, hill shouters, uh, not enough. This is not the, the Christ life that we're meant to live, kind of, you know, lobbying our thoughts from afar. We're meant to roll up our sleeves and get down in the middle of the valley and fight the fight that God's called us to, to fight. And so uh, we are now on the brink of this actually happening in our story. David is going to face the giant. Uh, but before he does, he's got to talk to the king. So we're going to go to two rooms today, uh, the throne room and then the dressing room. And uh, we're going to watch as these two kings ha have their first recorded conversation. In chapter 16, David comes and becomes the, uh, the guitar player or lute player for uh, Saul and his, his uh, you know, psychological, spiritual needs. Uh, but uh, some scholars think that 17 precedes 16 and you know, Saul doesn't recognize, recognize David in the telling of the story of David and Goliath. Whatever the case may be, this is their first recorded conversation. And so we're going to watch these two kings talk for the first time. Shall we begin? Good. Did anybody see me run out of here to grab this iPad? I forgot my iPad as I was getting ready to preach. Hope I didn't throw Darnisha off. But uh, welcome to Bay Life. That's how we roll. When the words that David spoke were heard, uh, what's he speaking of here? We're dropping into a uh, a piece of the story. He's speaking of the words that David said last week as he was conferring with some of those hill-shouting uh, soldiers. Uh, hey, uh, there's like a, a reward given uh, by Saul. You get to marry his daughter, Michael, the princess. You get to uh, get tax-free, exempt status uh, as a family for the rest of your existence in Israel, and he's going to sweeten it with a big money pot deal. Did anybody win the? Did the lottery get one? I don't even know. I don't play. Just it, it, that matters to you. Anyway, all right. Uh, I digress. How's it going? How's your morning going? So uh, that's the conversation that uh, was overheard. David was speaking with, uh, with uh, you know some of these other soldiers, and you remember what he said? He's like, "What do we need the sweeteners for? Why do I need to marry a princess?" and Get tax-exempt stuff. Shouldn't it just be enough that we go and honor God by taking this joker down? Where, where's, where's that in this conversation? 
And so, uh, his brother Eliab, if you remember from last week, his older brother was like, you're a loser. And David's like, you're my brother. And, and, uh, uh, and, and he's just kind of blowing past that. But now we, we, we find out that someone has let Saul know that there's someone finally, 40 days in people, okay, 40 days into the, the hill yelling, 40 days in, someone finally says, I'll fight him. And so what do you think Saul did? Well, maybe we, you know. No, he launches. Look what it says. It says, uh, when these words were repeated before Saul, he sent for him. It's the Greek, or the Greek word. Hebrew is the Old Testament. Uh, it's the Hebrew word, lacha. Everybody say lacha. You get to do the spit thing in the back of your mouth with that one. Um, lacha is this word that basically means seize or grab. It's this picture of, uh, you know, the last piece of pizza's in the box. You're like, mine, right? It's that whole deal, right? You're lacha when you get that last piece. And so uh, Saul acts, uh, you know, uh, forcefully and quickly and and he has David brought before him. Quick sermon sidebar here. How many times has David asked for anything that he's received so far in this story? Anybody been keeping count? If you guess zero, well done. Uh, he's been anointed the next king of Israel. Did he have anything to do with that? Did he fill out something online, answer a questionnaire of some kind, you know, suitable for next king? No. God just sent Samuel to his house, walked all the way through all seven older brothers and said, Dave's my man. And Dave didn't ask for any of it. Dave, Dave's just hanging out, delivering sandos to his brothers so they can have something to eat. He makes some comments in a conversation with other soldiers, which gets back to the king of Israel. And the king summons someone, he doesn't know who it is yet, but he summons this kid to come and see him. How much has David had to do with really any of this? And this is just a good, good reminder before I get into the rest of the sermon. Hey, if God needs you, he will find you and he will call you. And it's just on you and me to say yes. Everybody gets that, right? Like God is at work in your life all the time, ordering your, your days and, 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 and bringing you into you know, these uh, you know, conversations that you have that seem like, well, that was weird. How'd that? You know? God knew that you'd be there with them to say these things. And when he prompts you by his spirit, you just do what David does. You just go. You just, you just roll with it. And that, that's how he works most of the time. We pray all the time. Is anybody praying here? Anybody, a couple people pray? Yeah. Uh, anybody pray for some really specific things? And God kind of did them, but he did a whole bunch of stuff you didn't pray for in between. Has anybody been there? Like the path that we picture is almost never the path that God takes. And I'm kind of grateful for that. I don't want my hand on the joystick. I want to pray for God's will to be done. Here's what I'm asking for. You told me to ask, but here's what I'm asking for. But your will be done. He knows better than us. Anybody? And, and so let's trust him with stuff. And when he, listen, if he needs us, he'll find us. He'll call us, and we just say yes. I uh, spent last night worshiping with our worship team uh, on the stage. I brought my guitar out. Uh, I practiced this much. And uh, <clears throat> so we didn't plug my guitar in, and everybody was for grateful for that because I, I, I told them after the service, I think I hit about half the right notes. But I just had a great time up there with my guitar worshiping. Uh, one of the things that made it even greater is uh, for the second week in three Saturdays, uh, my oldest son, Ben, who's kind of out on Jesus right now, um, has showed up and played in the worship band here in our church, which is a huge yay God. But here's the bigger yay God. Do you, mind how many, you don't know how many times uh, Pastor Mark, 
the boss of Bay Life or whatever I am, asked Ben to be a part of this? First one was his idea because he wanted to ask people to you know, sign up for lessons. Uh, we have a school of music here, and he's one of our guitar teachers. He's like, I need some money, Dad. Can I go and pump you know, lessons? And I was like, hey, if it gets you on the stage singing praises to Jesus, come on. <laughs> and then last night, he works for his boss, Darnisha, and Darnisha says, you're a really good guitar player. You, you need to play with us Saturday. And he was like, I guess I'm playing with you Saturday. So I had zero <laughs> influence over my kids showing up two guitarists over uh, on our stage. And I got to spend a couple hours, you know, worshiping with them. Come on, man. I've been praying for that. And that's how he works. So don't grow weary. Don't grow faint of heart. The story's not over. I don't know if it's going to dip or keep going up. I don't know what's going to happen. But I keep praying. We keep trusting. And when God needs us, we go as he directs. All right, I could preach that one all morning, but I won't. Here we go, because uh, we're two verses in. So David's summoned. Anybody want to guess what Saul's impression of David is when he first sees him? How about underwhelmed? Right, he's got a whole army of soldiers geared up, right, and in walks a shepherd kid, the sandwich boy. I mean, he probably thought, like, he was, you know, I don't know, just an intern and hey, uh, I don't know what you're doing here, but we're waiting for the guy who's going to fight the giant. And, and, and David's like, no, that's me. And Saul's like I was when I opened the Amazon box the other day that had what I thought were uh, the super permanent markers. I, I play golf, and so I, I usually use a Sharpie, which I will continue to use now. But uh, uh, you put a little mark on your golf ball just to kind of have a, a director to to help you, you know, I'm going to leave that for Danisha, she'll love that. Anyway, uh, uh, but you put that little mark on there, and, uh, and so I, I'm just always in a quest for something bigger, better, you know, more, and, and so I found on Amazon, you know, super permanent marker. Well, a permanent marker is nice, but super permanent? I mean, I'm in, and so I buy it, and I, you know, uh, use it to mark. I, I, I went through, like, you know, uh, they come in boxes of 12. I went through, like, four boxes of 12, and I put all these marks on these golf balls, and uh, so I'm ready, right, because I lose a few. But uh, I get up there, and I'm, I'm just on the first hole all excited for my new super permanent marker lines, and I take my towel just to kind of get one of the little dimples, and of course it just smudges beyond smudge. And now it's permanent, right? <laughs> you, just, you just need to smudge it a little, and that's when it really takes the grip on your golf ball, right? So now I got all these smudgy golf balls, and I am underwhelmed. And this is Saul as David enters the room. He's probably feeling a little ripped off and he's going to shoot an email off to Amazon. Uh, he, he turns to his, his advisors and says, I thought we had a champion. I thought you said there was a champion who said that we would fight the giant. Who's this kid? David uh, is picking this up. Anybody ever been in that conversation? You've walked in, it's not what they expected, and you're like, maybe I should say something here. And so David pipes up and he says this to, to the king of Israel, to the boss. He says, hey, Cal, uh, King Saul, uh, let no man's heart fail uh, because of him. And maybe he even points out of the tent and points down the hill to Goliath. No, no, no. Everybody rest easy. Don't let your heart, you know, I know you're all scaredy cats up here on the hill, but don't worry about that big guy anymore. Why? Because your servant will go and fight the Philistine. 
wow, who is this crazy shepherd? And what is he doing in my tent? He's saying, as a good servant of God should, everybody look at me, anybody here wanting to serve God? Okay, here's what you say. When, when God puts a big, ugly giant in your face and, and puts something in, in front of you that seems insurmountable, your duty as a, as a soldier for Christ is to say, all right, let's go fight that thing. And that's, that's what David does. Hey, man, I'm a servant. I'm your servant, Saul. I'm certainly a servant of God over you, so I will go and fight. Servants, go and fight. Everybody say that with me. Servants, go and fight. It's just, it's, it's our programming. It's, it, when, the, when the power of God gets put in us, we go to work, right? Anybody got one of these at home? Couple of them maybe, right? Because nobody gets up like I did when I was a kid and hits an actual button on the TV. Who remembers this? Remember the dot? You had to turn it. Remember turning it? Yeah, to the third channel instead of the second or the first channel? Anyway, I digress. We have these things now. We just point them. But these are almost always battery-powered. I think always. Yeah, they're battery-powered. And, and uh and batteries run out. Who's ever been there? You're all set to like watch whatever's on, and you go, and it, ah, and so where do you go? Well, in my house, you go to the laundry room, it's where we keep the triple A's, and we throw a couple more in there, and I come back, and bada bang, bada boom. I probably just turned the TV off somewhere anyway, but, uh, uh, but you're cooking with gas. Why? Because the power is in it, so it works. Hey, Christians, the power is in us. Let's go to work, right? The batteries have been changed. The life has been given. Let's go to work. That's what David's there for. He understands that an atoning encounter with the one true God puts us in go mode. He's like Isaiah the prophet before him, or after him, I'm sorry, he comes later in the story of Israel. But he has this vision in chapter six of his book, and he's there in the throne room of God, and he's hearing the angels sing the songs that we sometimes echo in our songs, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? He's there watching it all unfold, and he does what anybody in their right mind in that situation would do. He's like, oh, I shouldn't be here. Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. Get me out of here. What am I doing in the presence, in the presence of, a, of a holy God? I, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not worthy. And so in this vision, this, this angel comes down, and it's too much to explain, but he basically uh, you know, takes some, uh, you know, one of the coals from the fire, and he puts it to you know, the lips of Isaiah, and he, he pronounces atonement of, over Isaiah. He says, your sins are atoned for. That's verse 5. And then uh, the God himself in the throne room of, of, of this vision, uh, in verse eight says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for, go for us? And in his dream, Isaiah's like, obviously, me. Here I am. Send me. Why does he say that? Why is it like instant? Because he has seen the atoning work of God transform his life. He's in the presence of God himself. He's like, duh, you're God. I'm not. I'll do whatever you want. And that's how he becomes the prophet that he became. In part, he said, here I am. Send me. And this is all through your Bibles. We talked about some of the examples last week. Moses didn't want to go, but God convinced him. And he said, here I am. Send me. Joshua Huge battles to overcome in taking the promised land in his book. But he went and marched around Jericho, and, and God prevailed because he said, here I am, send me. The disciples, all 12 of them, quit what they were doing for three and a half years and hung out with Jesus. Here I am, send me. Paul the apostle, used to be a Christian killer, then became like 
the leader of the Christians. And he's hanging out in his church in Antioch with his buddy Silas, and God comes to him and says, hey, I need someone to take the gospel to the Gentiles. It's going to hurt. But Paul's like, all right, here I am. Send me. It's what we do. If his power is in us, we go to work. And that's what David does. He's in go mode because there's something that needs to be done. But Saul looks at him, looks at this servant willing to fight, and he's got just doubts. Because servants can quickly become skeptics. Testify? Anybody in here? Well, I don't know. I mean, I know I'm supposed to go, but this, I mean, go here? Go do this? I don't know. And Saul looks at David, and listen, let's not be too hard on Saul. Uh, if, you know, we put a five-year-old up here to take me on, hopefully you would side with me. All right, if Charlie over here came up and we had to go at it, Charlie, come here, Charlie, real quick, come here. Come here, come on, hurry up. Come on, buddy. Hurry, bud. I'm on a clock. Everybody give it up for my friend, Charlie. <laughs> Completely impromptu. Okay, Charlie and I are gonna face, hi, Charlie, how you doing, bud? It's good to see you, man. Charlie and I are gonna face off, you know, in a, in a cage match, wrestling. Who, who, are you, who are you rooting for? You're rooting for him. Who do you think's gonna win? It, because some of you are like, well, you're Pastor Mark, and you'll probably let him win. I'm not letting him win. Who's winning? <laughs> now, Charlie's going to get way bigger than me, and he's going to come back and show me this video, and he's going to, you know, pile drive me in the front row. But I want to thank you for hanging out, Charlie Chuck Charles. Good to have you, bud. Can you give it up for Charlie? All right. So Saul's got questions, okay? He's looking at this little young man, and he's seen the giant for 40 days, and he's like, I don't know. And he says as much. He says, you are not able. You can't. You can't go down there against this Philistine to fight him because you are but a youth. And he's been a man of war since his youth. So however old this giant is, let's say, you know, 35, 40 years old, he's been at war for 25, 30 of those, whatever it is. It's arbitrary. But you get my point. He's seasoned. You're not. This is a bad call. I'm, I'm saying ixnay on the Eppard Shea. He's not going. <laughs> I just made that up. All right. Uh, <laughs> Goliath is way too much and you're way too little. The situation is way too big. You're way too small. I love this little you know, two-verse couplet here. You got two kings, one on the throne, one waiting, right? And you got two perspectives when it comes to this giant. You got David is like, I'm your servant, I'll fight him. You got Saul's like, no, you won't because you can't. And it's all about perspective. How do you see the world, people? Are you like uh, glass half full or glass half empty? And it goes way beyond psychology and optimism, pessimism. If we're followers of Jesus Christ and he's in us, we go. Why? Because he goes with us. He goes before us. He's behind us. He goes. So we go. And it just changes how you look at things. It shouldn't make you reckless. I'm not saying be unwise. I'm just saying be willing and just go when he says go. Most of life zigs or zags on our perspective. I sat down to have dinner with my uh, daughter. She's uh, 20, got to get this right, six years old. And uh, uh, she's just recently, in the last six months, started a new job. She's in the financial sector. It could be a great career for her. We're super excited for it. She's super excited for herself. She's trying really hard at this job. 
But on a, a day where she makes her worst mistake in her new job, she was, she's in charge of clerical stuff, filing reports and stuff like that. She sent reports for one customer to another customer, big no-no in the financial sector. Uh, uh, but she did that in about, I, I don't know how long it was after, but on that same day, she gets an email from her boss's boss's boss that she needs to meet with him the next week, about six days after and so she's having dinner with me, just so happens to be having dinner with me that night, and she tells me this story, and of course, she's a wreck. Dad, do the math. I messed up. Like a couple hours later, I get this email, that guy's going to fire me. And so what did I do as her father? I was like, yeah, that guy's going to fire you. He, you, are, you are toast. Man. Wow. No, that just if you're new. That's not what I did. That's not what I did. I did what dad should do. I tried to help my daughter put her chin up a little bit. I tried to speak some sense into an otherwise fraught with fear situation. Hey, listen, I know it's on the same day. It certainly seems like it seems, but what if it isn't? And what if, you know, this is just something completely different? What can you do right now as you're waiting for this to happen? What can you do right now? Do your job in the next few days as well as you can do it. Apologize to your, you know, bosses, 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 whatever your manager, just do everything you can to, to let them know you, you know you were wrong. And, you just, and, and we just sat there and we talked, and I tried to walk her through, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. But she, you know, she's like, okay, you may be right. You're probably not, but you may be right. So she goes to her meeting. I was totally right. The guy didn't even know about the mistake. Just wanted to thank her for coming on and, you know, being a good teammate and all that stuff. She comes out, she's like, ah, and I'm like, yeah. And that's why, kids, you listen to your dads. They're always right. No, it's not true. Quit clapping. Some of you dads are clapping. It's wrong. It's not true. But I can give you a father who is always right. Our heavenly father is always right. He's always right. You can trust him. And he's, listen, he's not always, not just always right. He has given you the ability to see things the way he sees them. The Bible talks about that in lots of different places. One of my favorite spots, here's a, here's a famous verse, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, who's heard this one? It says, therefore, if anyone wasn't in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Who's heard that one before? We preach it all the time around here, right? We're new because of our faith in, in Christ. It's given us a new life. Do you know what the context of this verse is? Sight. Look what it says in the verse previous. Paul's talking to his friends in Corinth about how he sees the world. And then he bridges into the new life. He says, listen, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I'm not looking with my old eyes. I'm looking with these new ones. He says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, you got to go back in the story of Paul when he was Saul. He hated Jesus. He hated anybody who liked Jesus or followed Jesus. He persecuted Jesus and his followers. He looked at them as interlopers to the Jewish faith, and he sought to do every, his very worst to them. But then he met Jesus, and he put his faith in Jesus, and Jesus gave him some different eyes. And so he doesn't look at Jesus the way he did. And we can all be thankful because he wrote like a you know, big chunk of our Bibles, right? He sees differently. We once regarded Christ according to the flesh, but we regard him thus no longer. Why? Because we're new. And, and the new changes how we see things. I wonder if your new eyes have caught up to your new self. Like, are those on board? Because I know, I'm looking at a lot of people who have new life in Christ. You've put your faith in Jesus, but you still choose to use your old eyes in looking at the world that you live in. And what I'm telling you is knock it off. Quit going all Saul with your situations. It ain't gonna work. It's impossible. 
Who brought the shepherd in here? No, be like the other king. David looks at a giant, he knows he's defying the one true God, and the one true God's not gonna stand for that. All I gotta do is be in the middle. And just watch him do what he does. It's like these binoculars. Sorry, I got caught up there. I used to go to my grandfather's house, no TV, way out in the woods, just nothing to do. So I'm like five, six years old, and I'm like, I'm just bored out of my mind. And I saw them, they were on the windowsill. My grandfather would sit in his lazy boy, and he would just kind of look, I don't know what the neighbors, I don't know what he did with them, but uh, <laughs> uh, he just looked out his window with his, in his binoculars, right? And so I'm a little kid, I, don't, I haven't seen any war movies, right? I just grab these things, and I grab them from the wrong end, right? And so I'm starting to look through these binoculars, and I'm like, these are stupid. <laughs> Everything's super small and blurry. And I didn't notice, but my grandfather had walked in. Hey! You know, you caught Ren Hannon. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm like, oh, I mean, this is not going to end well. Uh, he, he was a good guy. He just walked up. And he says, hey, bud, you're looking through the wrong end. And he flipped the binoculars around. He's like, this is the end to look at. Oh. Your neighbors are really close right now. Because that's how this is supposed to work. And once you've been made new, God flips the binoculars around. Where everything seems small and blurry, now he gives you his vision. HD, man. And you can see stuff from far away and know that he's going to be there when you get there. And you can trust him with that stuff and follow him through it because He's giving you his eyes. It's all David's doing. He's just looking at things through God's eyes. Saul's using his old ones. <laughs> so the rest of my sermon is hopefully going to help us flip the binoculars if that's a problem in our life. If you have a hard time think, seeing things as God sees them, uh, I want you to emulate the good king, David. Uh, he does three things as he gets ready to fight the giant uh, that we should all do as uh, we seek to look through the right end of the lens. Uh, some quick motions, ready? All right, you're gonna do these with me. All right, everybody take your hand, you're adjusting your rear view mirror. Some of you don't drive yet, this is your big chance. Okay, you're adjusting the rear view mirror. What do you use the rear view mirror for? To see what's behind you. Everybody say priors. Uh, one of the first things that we have to do to be able to look through the right end of the binoculars is remember the ways that God has given us victory in the past. Focus on the priors and let that victory propel you into the next things. One more time, priors. The second thing is this, guns out. Sun's out, guns out, come on. Okay, everybody say powerful presence. Powerful, and then tap your heart, presence. One more time, powerful presence. The first one is priors. Remember what Jesus has done. This one is, remember his powerful presence. He's with you, even if you're not with him. And he goes before you, and because of his presence, there's power that's not naturally yours. And you can trust him in his powerful presence. The last one is this, take a bottle and dump it on your head and say, promise, promise. The first one is priors, the second one is powerful presence. And the third one is his promise. We're gonna go back to the chapter where David gets anointed. And David knows that the promise of God has been given to him. And he's like, so I guess I'm gonna beat this giant up. That's part of the deal. 
Because he wouldn't have anointed me if I wasn't going to become the king he's called me to become. The, the promise, look at me, look at me. The promise of God is sure. It's a done deal. And so often we doubt him and his promise and we end up looking at things with fear from the wrong end of the binoculars. Those are the things I hope we learn today. Let's start with the priors. Remember God's previous victories. That's where David goes in, uh, in, in sharing his resume with Saul, who's already said no. The king said no. No, kid, you're not doing this. Back here, wherever you're from, go back. And David says this to Saul, speaks up. Maybe Saul's even heading out. But David speaks up and he says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Eleanor walked up to me after the last service. That was interesting. Uh, David had been keeping sheep up until he had come to the battlefield. Everybody remember that? It's like he left his sheep with someone to watch them last week. But he just referred to himself as a former shepherd. Huh. I used to keep sheep. I'm not going to be doing that anymore after I beat the guy down in the valley. But I used to keep sheep. Interesting. I used to keep sheep for, uh, for my father, uh, and, and when they came, uh, or when there, there came a predator, a lion or a bear that would take a lamb from the flock, I, I, I didn't run away. I didn't stand on the hill and shout, bear, bear. Anyway, uh, I, I went after him, and I struck him, and I delivered that sheep out of its mouth, and he arose. When that, when that predator would arise against me, I, I'd, I'd stand there and fight him. I'd catch him by the beard, and I'd strike him with this staff that every shepherd had, and, and I killed some some pretty big, nasty animals. And so here's my conclusion. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And so, look, the guy in the, in the valley, this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be just like the rest of those guys. Uh, he has defied the armies of the living God, and God's not going to let me fail. He didn't let me fail against the lion or the bear. And listen, God doesn't differentiate. Lions and bears and giants, oh my, whatever, Right? No big deal. If God goes with me, who can be against me? And I, I, David can say that because he is super aware of what God has done for him in his past. My question is, are we? Are we? And so we're like, oh, yes, I'm are you? Okay, well, it's, okay so it's, maybe you are. In, in peace times, it's easy to go through the journal and remember all those things. How great are you in the moments where the giant's right there? and remembering all the ways that God has provided for you in the past. Here's what we know. God has provided us for, uh, for us in the past, and like the song says, we believe that he will do it again. And because of his power, because of his work, I can know from experience that he'll make it happen. I was uh, at the worship night last night, and I walked up to someone in the crowd. They were sitting in one of these chairs. There's a whole bunch of them out there. You can go look. I'm not lying. Uh, but they've been out there for however long, and I, I, I don't remember. I probably have. I'm thinking of it now that I've thought about it. No, no, those are the chairs at the tables. I probably hadn't sat in one of these until last night. And so I was like, huh, those look really comfortable. And the person sitting next to the empty chair was like, they are. You should try one. And I was like, I think I will. And so I sat down. Now, uh, quickly, let's just go back in time. There might have been a, in my history a few situations where plastic chairs such as this uh, were not as stable in holding my visage, uh, you know, in a sitting position. Is everybody picking up what I'm saying? And so I'm sure that this one is, but I'm that's in the back of my head, and I'm like, huh, 
well, let's hope that doesn't happen at Saturday night worship. And I sat down, and I was like, these are nice. They even got this little cup holder right here. Oh, this is great, right? And I just sat there for a second. Then I got up, and I went off and played half the chords right, and we had a great night together, right? But guess what? I've done this twice this morning. It wasn't the same experience. You know why? Because I went through it last night. Is this going to work? Is it going to hold me up? Is it comfortable? Yeah, all those things. Check, check, check. And just like you came in this morning, and even though you were mad someone was sitting in your chair, right, <laughs> because apparently they're new and they don't understand that that's your row, right? <sighs> Christians, weird. Anyway, uh, you still managed to sit down in a chair. I think everybody in here is sitting down. Oh, there's someone in the back. Hi, you're fine. But most of us are sitting down. And you didn't even think about it. You know why? Been there, done that. And you're like, yeah, Mark, it's chairs. Giants are different, are they? Well, they seem so, really. But God's helped you with other things. You don't think you can do this one? It's just a chair. Lions, bears, giants, chairs. You sat in this one. You can sit in that one. And just follow them by faith. So we, we fix the mirror and we look at the priors, right? And then we rely on God's powerful presence. We've got to go back to the story of David's anointing. It says, after he's been anointed in front of his brothers, at the end of verse 13, end of the 16th chapter, it says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and all that stuff occurs. But David, from the time of his anointing, was awash with the spirit. Now, we I can't put together a timeline. He goes back to the shepherds. Maybe the lion and bears come between that moment and uh, Goliath or whatever the case is. But here's what I do know, because I've read the Psalms, which are basically David's journal. Uh, He spent a lot of time out there with the sheep reflecting on the goodness and greatness of God. He he took what had been invested in him, the spirit of the Lord, rushed upon him, and he nurtured that relationship, sought to grow in his faith, certainly had those experiences that that buoyed his confidence in God, but, but he was constantly in the presence of God. He, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. One of his most famous psalms was probably written by David as he's you know, long been a king, but he's reflecting on that time of his life as a shepherd, and he says, you know who the shepherd is? The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want, right? Psalm 23. He, he leads me beside still waters, because that's what he did. He, he leads me into green pastures, because that's what he did. He restores my soul. That's what he did. I spent all of this time building my relationship with him, and it made, it made a huge difference in, in David's life. Just read his story. His connection with God is his greatest source of strength and success. It still holds up today. Someone took a poll uh, between those who read their Bibles four times a day, or four times, sorry, four times a week. Some of you are like, four times a day, that's way too much. Okay, four times a week, maybe. Now give me the stats. So someone, someone took a, a poll between people who read their Bible four times a week, and then they asked them a whole bunch of questions. People who read their Bibles four times a week um, reported feeling uh, uh, their loneliness dropped by 30%. Their anger issues dropped by 32%. Their relationships problems, uh, relationship problems dropped by 40%. If they struggled with addiction like alcoholism, that went down by 57%. If they felt spiritually bored, 40%.
Uh, if they read their Bible four times a week and they struggled with pornography, it went down by 61%. This was the most startling to me. If they read their Bible for four times a week, they shared their faith almost three times as much. I guess not almost, 200% more than that, like three times as much than the average person who doesn't. Whatever the math is there, it's a bunch. And so just spending some time, and some of you are like, all right, man, four times a week, I think I can manage that. Okay, don't just do it as like a, a chore that you have to, you know, uh, it's not the dishes. Spend some time, build your relationship with God, and see the dividends arise from that choice. Intimacy with God changes our approach to living. I gotta skip around because I'm almost out of time. Third thing is this, rest in God's promise. Rest in God's promise. Look at God's previous victories, that's priors. Rely on God's powerful presence, right? And rest in God's promise. Samuel uh, goes to visit Jesse, David's dad. Uh, he lets them know on the download that I'm gonna be anointing the next king here. Uh, Jesse hauls out all of his sons. Seven of them are paraded past the prophet, and God says, no, I'm not looking for the outside appearance. I'm looking for the heart, and, and keep going. Not him, not him, not him, not him. And Samuel says to him in verse 11, that it? That's all the sons you got? And Jesse's like, well, there's David. And I'm like, well, who's he? Well, he's the youngest, and he's out there watching the sheep, and Sam says, well, get that guy in here, because we're not sitting down until he's here. And here comes David, and it describes him in the next verse as this handsome, beautiful-eyed, ruddy kid. And, uh, and the Lord, most importantly, most significantly in the story, says, that's him. Anoint that eighth son. <laughs> and so that's what Samuel did. He took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Now, that anointing, don't have time to go into it all, but when the, when the prophet takes out the oil and dumps it on a head, that's a promise from God. Now, he didn't even really want Saul to be king. Anybody remember that story? But he said, I'll give, I'll give Israel a king. How about this bozo? And, and, and so Samuel did the same thing with him and put the oil on his head, and Saul became king and was used for the purposes of God because God's large and in charge, and he's got to say so. And when he says something, promises something, and puts something on somebody, that's what's going to happen unless he says different. And so like I said in the opening, David knew that God had started something in him, and like Paul reflected to the Philippians, uh, he trusted that he who began a good work, in verse six of Philippians one, would be faithful to the completion of it. In our you know, new covenant age, to the day of Christ Jesus, but David just knew, hey man, that's what this is. The promise of God, the anointing of God, his presence in my life, I'm sure of it. And that's why he says in verse 37, the Lord, back in 1 Samuel 17, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. It's paw, paw, hand, all the same word, but we don't call these, well, not officially paws. But he's like, what's he saying? Lions, bears, giants, whatevs. It's not a big deal for God. It feels like a big deal to us, but it's just not for him. He'll deliver me from them. He delivered me from those other ones. He'll deliver me from the giant. And Saul got all cranked up. Look what he says. Go, and the Lord be with you. This spiritless <laughs> king of fear gets all pumped up by the shepherd boy, who just moments before had been like a hard no for him. Yeah, we're not going. You're not going out there. But David says, hey, man, this is my resume. And the same God who delivered me from the lion and the bear, he'll take care of the giant. Saul's like, let's go. 
promise, presence, priors. That's what happened in the throne room. Can I tell you about the dressing room real quick? Look what it says in verse 38. So they go from there, and Saul decides, i got to get you ready. And so he clothes David in his own armor. He puts on, uh, on David's head a helmet of bronze, which probably didn't fit. Anybody ever put on a hat that's way too big for you? I haven't. My head is huge, okay? I'm the opposite end of that. But some of you got these little pea heads, and if you try to, you put my hat on, you just look like Charlie Brown. Remember, remember Charlie Brown's hat was always way too big for his head. Uh, David's wearing this brawn helmet. It doesn't begin to fit his head. It's just wobbling around, you know? Uh, he, he, he clothes him in a coat of mail, uh, uh, and he straps his sword over his armor. It's, the sword is probably just about the height of David, right? I mean, I'm not going to bring up again, Charlie, but uh, if Charlie was wearing my clothes right now, we'd all have a good chuckle, right? Because they just don't fit him. And that's David's situation. Now, listen, it totally makes sense for a couple of things. I read something this week. Uh, could it be? I can't say this for sure. But it seems like to be on track with who Saul is. Could Saul be dressing David in his own armor so somehow he might get credit for killing a giant? Isn't that Saul out there? He's shorter than I remember. Oh, look, he killed the giant. Cool. One scholar said that. I can't say that for sure. But it checks out, right? Wouldn't put it past Saul. Or maybe he's just trying to do everything he can to secure a victory, knowing that if this kid loses, we're all the servants of the Philistines. It comes down to this fight, but whatever the case. Saul does what he knows to do to prepare David for what lies ahead. David tries it all out, and see what it says there? It says he tried in vain to go, like literally just to move, uh, for he had not tested them, and, uh, and we find out he can't really move. Why? Uh, because it says, then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And so David put them off. What this tells us real quick is that, yeah, there's going to be giants in your life, but don't be putting a whole bunch of stuff on top of what God wants to do through you in order to face them. Here's what that means. Go with what's necessary. Now, if I read the next verse, and I know I'm way out of sequence, Matthew, you're a great, can everybody give it up for the slide guy, Matthew? He's just trying to figure out where I am. Uh, Look at verse 40. It says, then he took his staff in his hand and uh, chose five smooth stones. Probably tennis ball size, people. Don't think like, we we think smooth stones are skippers, right? Who's been to the lake? You want a a nice, flat, smooth stone to get the good skips going. Don't think smooth stones like that. Think like tennis balls. That's what they would throw in their slings. It's still smooth. They were still kind of round and, you know, washed over by the water. But he put five of them in there. Don't have time to talk about the five. I think he just wanted to be prepared in the eventuality that the first, second, third, and fourth ones missed. I don't think he's being unwise, being prepared. I'm not teaching you to be unwise. But here's what I do see in David's story. He took his staff, knew about that. He used that one to beat the lion and the bear, right? That's how he struck him. He he took the sling. He knew about that. It's probably what stunned the lion and the bear, to the point where he could get close enough to try to kill them and then, you know, had to grab the beer and all that stuff. He took the stuff he knew and the God he knew and he went and did the things that God told him to do. Look at me and I'll let you go home. All I hope for us as a church is to be a people who, takes, who take uh, the stuff that God has given us and, and the God who is with us and we go and do the things that God has called us to. That's... That's the formula for success in life. Don't add a bunch of stuff on top, all the things that you think are necessary, because they're not, and just because you say, oh, I need these things, you make me think you're kind of worshiping these things. 
They might be idols. Your financial security, absolutely. Try to achieve it, but don't make it God. Your family, absolutely love those buggers. Don't make them God. Uh, Being in a place that's familiar, uh, in a place where you've had influence, absolutely. If you can have that, great, but don't make it God because God is God. And if God calls you away from all of those things so that you might be unencumbered in what he's called you to, go. Run light with him. Like the Tompkins. Anybody remember Ben and Noemi were up here? And, you know, there are missionaries, yay, and they're heading off to this place that I'm not even allowed to talk about because it's so secret they don't want us to talk about it and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, but they're getting trained, so they go into, you know, uh, uh, one of the least, uh, you know, uh, uh, Christian areas of the world and share the gospel in a risky setting. And they took their two little kids under the age of two. Their son had just gotten through cancer treatments. And they're like, let's go. And some people, some of you were probably sitting here and being like, that's reckless. That's nuts. How are they going to take care of their kids? How are they going to take care of all this stuff? Yeah, I get that on a human level. But they've got God. And God is enough. And God lives over there. And he's sovereign over there. And listen, for me, I want to go another hour. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I lose this life, I win. If I live this life, I win. It's not about my comforts. It's about me being obedient with what God has given me so that he gets the glory and I get his best in my life. And i got to shut up now because I'll just keep going. But that's my hope for you. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but there is a God. He made you. He loves you. He wants you for his own. And if he has you, he wants all of you so that you can go and fight as a servant of his. He's a faithful God. Isn't that great? We sing about his faithfulness. He won't let us fail.